Serpent Temple podcast. This week we're going to be looking at free releases. The first one is going to be the classic Gorguts album, Considered Dead, released in 1991. That was Prince Philip up until about uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're keeping this bit in. Yeah. <laughs> the second release is going to be the stunning Devil is Fine by Zealand Arda, released in 2017. And the third release is going to be the most recent Memoriam to the End 2021. I'm not going to make a Prince Philip joke. Um, yeah. So, Floyd, what did you think of Gorguts? I see one of the things I really like about Gorguts is they've had a really um, interesting journey as a band. And this album is like a pretty, it's a pretty uh, archetypal death metal album and sounds like it was even recorded at Mora Sound, which is like legendary studio in Tampa, Florida. And, you know, it's record, um, produced by Scott Burns. And um, it's just, uh, it's got all the hallmarks of all those classic bands, you know, like Death and uh, Atheist. Yeah. Atheist, yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting because like, there's such a different band here than where they're at now. They're so different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's good to, I always enjoy, whenever I listen to music or get into a band, I always love listening to like the earliest material they've got just to see like the transition they've made from their infancy. And um, even like um, Cradle of Filth, like have you ever listened to like, the early demos? Oh yeah. It's like some weird like grindcore or death metal shit, but it is like super, like it sounds worse than like Symphonies of Sickness. Oh. And I don't mean that in a good way, because I like yeah, the way some pieces of Sickness sounds. I do not like that early Cradle stuff, no. It's, um, so I think that's the main reason why I suggested this album, because I think it's always cool to listen to a band in the kind of their infant stage and how they've progressed from where they are, because like Gorguts are like uber avant-garde, like some of their shit, like Obscura is just like such a jangly, weird fucking album, and Coloured Sounds is just like a massive wall of sound, it's just almost like a... I think I said coloured sounds. Yeah. It's happened already. You know, but, but no, and it's like, um, so this is an album I'm quite familiar with, so be interested to see your, or hear your kind of take on it. It's an interesting album. I, I'm kind of, I'm not a huge Gorguts fan. I do like Gorguts. I mainly listen to like, when they come on in the car, on like the car playlist. So I've not like gone into their albums one by one and like, like wine tasted the music of Gorguts properly. Um, so this was really interesting because I had like the modern Gorguts in my head. I thought it was going to be like those albums that you mentioned. Yeah. So when I listened to this, I was like, this just sounds like how death metal sounded a long time ago. And yeah. it came out the year I was born. <laughs> I think two months or so before I was born. So I was like, I like, I, I, I have like a narcissistic connection to this album in that respect. So I'm like, oh, what was music like when I was being born? Um, it's really interesting. Like it's it's kind of I guess basic, um, but it's still really good. It's not a criticism. It's just how it sounded to me, um, and I can hear like I can hear like the embryo of Gorguts yeah. in a way. Um, and I I did my thing. I read through the lyrics. I didn't know they were Canadian. Yeah, they're like French Canadian as well. French Canadian yeah. from Quebec, right? Is it Quebec or Quebec? I would say Quebec. Co Quebecois. Are you taking the piss? No, they don't say it like that, don't they? I don't know. I thought you were just taking it. No, I don't think so. I go by it. <laughs> I don't think I am. You're taking the biscuit. I go by it because I'm a massive uh, wrestling fan, as people know. Yes, I'm over 30 and still watching wrestling. 
And um, every time they announce someone, they always say from Montreal, Quebec. So yeah, that's like the American way of saying it, which Quebec. is probably wrong because they. Oh, I'm not going to finish that sentence, but <laughs> yeah. they, uh, they've got an interesting take on the English language. I guess in America, I guess I like like the concept of this album, like the idea of of um, like every song being about a different kind of person just being left for dead, and like that's really interesting. I did not like the miscarriage song. That is not a song I was into. I guess because you know, like back then they were just like, oh, brutal, you know, loads of gory lady birth vagina stuff. Like, oh, what's scarier than the death vaginas? <laughs> what's, what's scarier <laughs> than a woman? <laughs> 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 so I get it, I, they were probably just young kids at the time. I still just felt really uncomfortable reading it. Um, I think like when you're young you don't get you don't get why stuff like that is sucky and shit. But like as as an older person I'm just like, oh this makes me sad. However, music's great. Lyrically, like it's it's kind of like simple but cool, you know. Like there's a song about some guy, like he's, I think he's walking in the rainforest and he falls into like a pit of spikes. And then, like, he's impaled on these spikes and he can't scream for help and he sees people, like, walk past him, above him, in this pit and can't do anything. And I'm just, like, I had this existential, like, reaction to that song where I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't... It made me uncomfortable in a cool way, not uncomfortable in a miscarriage way. Um, That's, like, me as a kid, I really... It's a quote I saw online and it's like, never has something... Never have I read something that's resonated more with me. And it's, um... I thought quicksand was going to be much more of an issue when I was a child. <laughs> yes, I was so deathly funny. afraid of quicksand and the prospect of oh as a child. No. Like, it's I like have, my worst I fucking nightmare. nightmares about sinkholes. I think oh, my adult version of, qui of quicksand and sinkholes, because they yeah. seem like mad common, especially in Florida, actually. Yeah. And there's loads near where I live, so sometimes I'm lying in bed having 2 a.m. thoughts, and I'm just like, what if I get swallowed by a sinkhole? <laughs> No, one opened in the road when I lived in Camden. Don't say that. The whole street just fell through. London is 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 Literally. like having that problem because of the underground tunnels. Yeah. It was yeah. like it was like a hundred meters from the Great Portland Street Station. It was no like the size of a car. I just walked out of my house one day <laughs> and there was a hole the size of a car in the middle of the road. It was insane. You know why sinkholes are mad scary? So um, I remember reading about them in geography. And because that's how I learned things is at school like 20 years ago. But anyway, you learned something at school. What? Um, so basically, there, there, we did this this case study, and Florida has like loads of sinkholes because of like all the geology and shit. There was this this random house in Florida, and some dude was in bed, and only his room fell in like the sinkhole opened his room. So like his parents came to be like. Why is it my son up? And they open the door and there's a fucking hole! Yeah, do you think like if there were strict Christians, they would be like, shit, this guy's been uh, fucking wanking too much and has been fucking sent to hell. <laughs> that reminds me, we were in Sardinia, we went to the high street, and like the, they just newly paved the road. And this old lady was walking by, and there was just a hole, a tiny like weird hole, and she goes, oh, Dios mio! And it was so cute. It was the cute, and yeah, she crossed herself. And she's got a little sticker, she's like, look at this hole, like, oh my god, there's this tiny hole. To no that one. Was, like, she was just looking around like, oh my god, there's a hole. It was so cute. It was, like, <laughs> it was just so like, not 
like, yeah, it was amazing. It was like from a film. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so, sinkholes, fucking scary. Couldn't find the guy's body because um, you just get swallowed by the earth and then you just get like sucked down to some like limestone thing. It's horrifying. Well, Fuck the, that. The sinkhole in Camden, I always thought that you always think that the earth is just going to be like substrate, like like road, gravel upon dirt, and it's just all goes all the way down. But when you see the sinkhole, like it's like, a micro. Oh, the road is like that thick, and then there's just a gaping void <laughs> underneath it. <laughs> That's insane. Do you know what's really scary, right? So you know the the proportions of the Earth's crust is exactly the same as the skin on an apple, and everything oh. else underneath that is just magma. <laughs> magma, and there are currents inside the magma as well, like convection style currents, and they move all the places. See, that's kind of cool. It's fucking yeah. it's really cool, yeah. Before we move on from the topic of sinkholes, because I can't picture the next time this topic's going to come up. Yeah, we need to get it um, right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, have you seen the towns? I think some of them are in America where they've done the fracking. And it's caused towns to just collapse. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's one of the most terrifying things I've seen. There's some footage of it. I'll show it to you. It's a mad shit. That is so scary. Like just yeah. the, the ground just disappearing and you being swallowed up by the earth and like just drowning in soil is such a horrifyingly brutal, scary thing. But if you're if you're into fucking planet Earth and into Vor, that's <laughs> probably the best way to go. To being eaten by Mother Earth. Oh, nice. So. I was like, where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> so I've been watching a lot of Vore recently. Well, there's, there's also... Um, Star Wars. The things were like aliens. The, one of the main schools of thought for uh, alien contact is the hollow earth theory, right? Oh, it's such a... No, it's that's not like a main school of thought. It's actually quite good. Yeah, no, but, like, no, 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 but, no, no, but... Okay, that's... Okay, I misspoke there. But it's basically yeah. one of the different theories. It's one of the One of the theoretical theories. threads. is that, like stupid thing. I think hollow it's cool. earth is dumb. It doesn't, like, if the earth was hollow, there would be no earthquakes or volcanoes. How do you know it's not an alien? Yeah, how do you know they're not doing it? You can tell, like, so basically when there's an earthquake, you can tell on the other side of the world because of the way S waves and P waves work. Go look into it. It's just, like, completely stupid that people would think the earth is hollow. You can, you can literally tell what the density of the earth is based on how seismic waves move through the earth. And that you can tell when, like, earthquakes are happening on other sides of the world. Also debugs flat earth theory because, like, if you can tell there's an earthquake in Japan when you're in, like, America, like, whatever, anyway. I'll, I'll believe, I'll disbelieve Flat Earth when I see it. <laughs> but it's, um, I'll tell you another thing that's, um, you know why um, there's not many underground stations in South London? Why's that? Particularly South East because the ground is too kind of um, fucked up. Oh, is it not? Is it is it because of the, the river? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think it's quite, like, soft and kind of, you know, it's not, like, it wouldn't hold. And... And I also heard another rumour, which was that there's, a, there's allegedly a lot of um, uh, World War Two and one mines that have not been detonated there, and that's the main reason why you don't get oh. underground stations in South East London. And that's why it's really annoying to live there. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> sucks. But you go back to your <laughs> guts, so we've extensively covered the topic of... Um, Hollow up! Uh, Fuck! <laughs> the, the consistency of the ground in South East London. <laughs> Um, you mentioned something that I thought was a really cool fact because you said about the album, it does sound kind of basic and stuff. Mm. And it's funny because um, if you're introduced to uh, death metal through like the Morris Sound style, and then I think you've got a, 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 a better appreciation for it because like the newer production, I mean, you saw it with Akakoka of old bands. I mean, that's such a fucking, you know, such a so far ahead of, you know, what these guys it's a were. different, like yeah. almost genre completely, really. And you know that newer sound of production is kind of like a lot 
punchier and it's a yeah. lot more kind of refined. It's easier to listen to in a, a lot of ways. Like the whole more sound thing is like it's almost deliberately murky and it's mm -hmm. a sound that's like coming back now. There's a lot of like OSDM bands that are trying to recapture it. But it's interesting because I always thought that, you know, if you're a newer school death metal fan, you listen to these albums, you're probably not going to like them because they do sound kind of basic and they are a bit boring and the structures are very similar and like and the production for all this whole album is very it's quite monotonous at times but i mean i like it because i um rose Rolling were doing these uh, really good series uh, in the early 2000s where they would release uh, two albums um from like the death metal bands used to have on the labels so they'd done one uh, two albums by pestilence suffocation gore guts had this album and uh, the erosion of sanity the second album and the suffocation double album as well and um that was actually my introduction into death metal because i heard a dying fetus song and I was just like, this sounds really cool. So then me being like slightly like obsessive, I was like, oh, I want to start from the beginning though. So let me see who like the first bands were. So like I appreciated this sound and almost got like the natural progression of the production. Mm. Whereas I think when you're trying to work back retroactively, it sounds kind of shit, to be honest. There were aspects of the production I liked. Like I liked how the drums sounded. I liked like, and I liked how fat the bass was. And it was, it was a really heavy album. I thought... It felt nostalgic. That's how yeah. it felt. I don't know if that's like just something that's new. I also saw um, there were some cool guest um, things. Got our man Chris Barnes, you know, the six feet under uh, yeah. <laughs> 420 on, blazer. On free tracks. There's also a guest Barnes guitar is on free solo. Tracks. He's on free tracks. Yeah. There's also a guest guitar solo by James Murphy, who also played with Death, Obituary, and Testament. Yeah, James Murphy's a bit of a legend. That's a good solo as well, because I think it's on the last track, yeah. Inoculated Life. That's it, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, because he's got that kind of, he's a very, like, uh, technically uh, proficient guitarist, so, like, you could just see it was quite quite recognisable sound he's got, because, like, as much as the guitarists are good in this band, I but their solos were quite a bit more kind of uh, atmospheric and emotive, like, you know, they're quite typical of that style, whereas James Murphy was just laying down some fucking killer technical shit. Yeah, and the, we also need to talk about the artwork as well, which is, um, we have a double artwork doozy this week, we have two yeah. Dan Seagrave album covers. Um, he's also Canadian. Well, he lives, he's not Canadian, he lives in Canada. He was born, I think, in the UK. I thought he was English, yeah. But he lives in Canada now. That makes sense. Yeah, he was born, like, what, the Midlands? Oh, man, I'm fucking this up. I just forgot, I, I just, it yeah. says he lives in Canada, and I just forgot. Because we, I did the research from just like two weeks ago, so I've forgotten half of my style. <laughs> be half right, I mean, you got dual citizenship if you're British, ah! so technically you can, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's both. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I, it's a Dan Seagrove cover, that's worth knowing. He's a legendary artist, he's worked yeah. for a shit ton of awesome bands. I still, I'm fucking gutted. I used to have a, um, a long sleeve suffocation um, tee of um, the Effigy of the Forgotten album, which is one of his like sick album covers, and it was such a cool like design. I have no idea where it is. Oh no! But fuck knows, I have no idea. But what was cool was what Shem was telling me the other day about how there was like a reissued version of Considered Dead, right? I think it was, it was the like... early demos of Gorguts, yeah. Oh, oh, that, it, it has was, three bonus like... tracks of the demos, right? Am I um, that? I actually saw it on Dan Seagrave's old blog, I think. And when I was looking for something else. Yeah. For another episode. And um, it came up on his personal blog. So it was like, basically it's the album cover for a CD they released, re released of early collected demos from like just the early years. Oh, I don't right. think it was Sorry. from a particular album. Okay. It was just like, you know, like pre-coloured sounds or whatever. Yeah, it's really cool, but Floyd, did you wanna? Sorry, I didn't wanna take over. No, 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 I was, I was, I was like, <laughs> caught up with brushing the, uh... <laughs> 
It's funny because Shem, like, <laughs> like, you can't see Shem behind the camera, but he passed it to Floyd, like, <laughs> he kind of did this, like, elaborate hand gesture. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really funny. I, I it was cool. It was just like the fucking, like, the album cover, like, 20, 20 years later. It was, uh, <laughs> 20, 20 it was years later. super cool. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the cover of Considered Dead, yeah, like, yeah. 20 years later, but it's also got the ones from the second album, the little cage things. The oh, yeah, it's like the little, like, they're sort of in, sci-fi. They're on that picture oh, as well. That's so cool. it's the art combined from the first two albums combined. Oh, that's sick. But then it's supposed to be like, I think he said like 500 years in the future or whatever. So oh, the, room, the ceiling of the, the, the tomb has fallen in yeah. and there's all this like alien, like flora, flora and fauna, like growing in around nice. the, the old, it's really cool, but it's, but it's literally the same um, tomb or whatever is on the front cover of Considered Dead, yeah. yeah. That's cool because it's similar with Memoriam. Cause you've got yeah, those, like the king, like the dead king on the pyre being yeah, like taken. Yeah, yeah. That's so, I, I like really like that. those memorial covers, they're cool. I love it when, uh, when artists have that continuity across their discography. I think that's really impressive. I think Seagrave's particularly good for that. Interesting about Dan Seagrave is when I was doing A-level art, I wanted to use his artwork. It's like, because when you do A-level art, you've got to have a link to an artist. You're not going to get a good grade unless you're somewhat mimicking another artist's work. That's not like I can ever fucking do what Dan Seagrave did, but... Um, but the whole thing was, I was just like, oh, I really like this guy's art because I was like super into death metal all the time. And, um, and my art teacher actually says, no, you need to pick someone that's more known. You're not going to get a mark. So he was just like, oh, pick Geiger instead. And I do fucking love Geiger for the record. Like, Geiger is amazing. At least but... your art teacher knew who Geiger was. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like just another example of the bullshit curriculum that yeah. the creative arts yeah. taught in school. Oh, damn it. But I, tell you, I want to say quickly, uh, my favourite track on the album, I want to give some of the tracks some love, is uh, Bodily Corrupted. And it kind of starts with that uh, scream, bloody gore, death feel. I think it's worth mentioning that a lot of the members of this band were highly influenced by death. Yeah. And every band around this time, you know, you could just, like, he, they really were like the progenitors and forefathers of the scene, like down to the vocal silence, and just like even the thrashier elements of the riffs. And like, you kind of hear it in this track that it's got a really like, I love it when a death metal band has like a, like a kind of like a half-timey sort of thrash riff in it. I think that's when death metal is at its absolute fucking pinnacle when they combine like the speed of death metal with like a sick like kind of moshy thrash riff and that's kind of what this track has and it's always been one of my favorite tracks on the album and i think this is one of the one that has uh, backing vocals from uh, chris barnes oh cool do you ever hear about the time chris barnes got in a fight with travis ryan from cal yeah. decapitation yeah. <laughs> what happened it was i mean there's there there like two sides of the story so it's like kind of conflicted i think most people are kind of veering towards <laughs> travis ryan's events but i think he was sucker punched by him or something yeah like did he like like chris Barnes like punched him and ran away or something it was really weird yeah but he punched him that ran into his trailer but i mean but apparently but, but, like, it's all ironed out everything's Ca- cool cattle decap were supporting six feet under i guess yeah on tour and that was when they were like a smaller band and like Chris Barnes was like oh you can't put your merch over here or something oh, this, this is what Travis yeah, Ryan what said like yeah. he was like Travis Ryan said that Chris Barnes was being like a bit rock star or whatever right and like throwing his weight around but like they were just trying to be cool to everyone and stuff and they just didn't feel like it they were getting very fair treatment but there was Something did happen that led to the physical altercation, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Chris Barnes. Um, Chris Barnes rules. I want to say one cool thing, because um, the first time I ever heard his vocals, which was on their uh, second album, Tomb of the Mutilate, you want to talk about problematic lyrics, <laughs> fucking read the early fucking Cannibal Corpse stuff. But the first time I heard that dude's vocals, I was like, the fuck is this? Yeah. Like the first time you hear that, that so super guttural style, and I thought yeah. it was super cool. 
This the old Cannibal Corpse cover of Roost Bloody Roost. This is so sick. Oh, that's amazing. What is that on? I, I, I downloaded it legally back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also procured it from a website that wasn't called yeah. Max. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It was a, a lemon shopping yeah, yeah, website. Lemon. Yeah, oh, I love Chris. <laughs> Have you seen the used car advert? He's on like, there's like a used car... Court where is he this lives. like the punk butter? And he no no like he's on like some cable TV advert. Oh like shit! I've cars, I've and he's that. just standing there. Like he's so awesome. I love how like. <laughs> There's a really awkward interview with like him and Chuck being interviewed by uh, someone from like Headbangers Ball, and really? they just, and they just come across like total like stoner. Like, yeah, they're just like, like not interested in the interview. Is that? The they one? can't, but they just they just come across like forgive me your typical socially awkward metalhead. And it's like it's funny because if I'd watched that while first getting into the bands, I wouldn't have believed they were the people responsible for the music I was listening to. I'd be like, no fucking way. But so that's why I love Chuck so much because of his T-shirt, like the fucking um, the one that with all the cats on it. I thought it was just super cute. I love when people have a sense of humour like that, and they can also be absolutely terrifying musically. It's fantastic. Speaking of uh, musical terror, do you want to move on? Or I think it's time to move on. Any final remarks for the considered dead? Um, no, I just think it's uh, just kind of just uh, adds to a point I was making earlier. I think um, for me, I think they're actually quite an underrated band. I think they're definitely. Honest. Yeah, they should be more respected for how seminal they've been. I think. Yeah, and I think even especially for the uh, Canadian kind of death metal scene, because I think that you know Cryptopsy gets a lot of uh, praise as like the like the, the the unsung sort of like cult heroes of the Canadian death metal scene, and um, but like. I think even the Canadian scene in general is quite underrated because they've carved out their own niche for quite a lot of the subgenres, especially like black metal and death metal. And it's uh, it's always cool to hear a band that was one of the first ones to be doing it. Agreed. And plus, like Rush as well, like they're one of the fucking best bands ever. I love Rush. Rush are oh. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Are they Canadian? Yeah. Shit. I fucking I hope I they are. I assume like <laughs> most 70s bands are English. Kenny Lee looks Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're 100% Canadian. How does someone look Canadian? I don't know, but Getty Lee does. I'm going to Google Getty Lee after this just to see like what a Canadian person looks like, apparently. That's so strange. Oh. Is it like in South Park? Uh, maybe, yeah, like, there's just, there's a particular look about him where I'm just like, if someone said, oh, he's comedic Canadian, I'd be Comedian. like, yeah, Canadian, that's <laughs> my turn. <laughs> like, Luke LeMay, he looks somehow Canadian as well. Yes, I, yes, I, I love Luke LeMay, he's so cool. He's, he's so really cool. He's got a really lovely name. He's got a beautiful, softly spoken voice. He seems so nice, I can't do an impression of if him. If my name was Luke LeMay, I'd also have a beautiful voice, because I'd say my voice, my name in the most beautiful way I could, because I'd be called Luke LeMay. What a beautiful Luke name. LeMay. It is Luke a gorgeous LeMay. name, isn't it? I love it. And he's like and he's like because he's like literally a full-on classical composer right no way yeah, yeah that's perfect name so, for a composer yeah yeah like he went away and studied classical music like really hard and then wow. he's like like there's an interview with him like colored sans era not uh yeah yeah colored sans era and he's like he's saying like death metal is just as complicated and complex as classical music and it doesn't get 100%. you know so that was like he his approach to colored sans i think it was like or maybe obscure, but I feel like you, with Colour in particular, he's talking about how like he approached it, like he composed it before. He didn't just sit and write yeah. riffs; like he wrote all the music first. I think that makes perfect sense because you listen to the album and it's like it's it is like a wall of like instrumentation. It's amazing. Also, yeah. like because obscure is just like some sort of weird <laughs> jazz death metal music from hell, but like <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I think Luc Lemay has got because um, um, you know the band Cataclysm; they're also French Canadian. With a K. 
Yeah. Okay. And two K's as well, so it's K A T A K L I. So that's it. Yeah. I just assumed they'd be a German thrash. I always thought they were German. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I thought they'd be like creator. I was like, it's a band with a K. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's it. Oh gosh. But Cataclysm, French Canadian, and I think um, Luc Lemay might be from a similar area where they've actually got a lot of um, like mainland European sort of heritage. Like mm, the singer Cataclysm is basically an Italian. He's got, and I think Luc Lemay is quite similar. Like I think he's got quite a uh, quite a cool um, ethnic background. <laughs> So, oh, that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got that bit. That's so hard not to say it. Yeah, but fuck. Oh, my goodness. But look amazing. Cool guy. Sorry. <laughs> cool ethnic background. Oh. <laughs> I'm so upset about me. I'm doing both. It's different because this guy's clearly not like, no. like a non-white person. It's funny. No, it's funny. I get, I get, I completely get what you're saying. I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> That's enough about Luke LeMay. <laughs> <laughs> Next band. <laughs> Next band is Zeal and Ardor. Uh, I say Ardor, but you've been saying Ardors, and now I'm saying Ardor as well. Wait, what you've just said there sounds like the same word twice. What, what do you say? Zeal and Ardor. Oh, I say Ardor, don't what I? Do you yeah. say Ardor. Ardor. So you put an O-U in there. Yeah. It doesn't have any. It is an O-U. No, it's Ardor. It's American spelling. It's an O-R, yeah. So this is the... I think it's an American spelling of Ardor. Ardor. Oh, I'm doing it again. Presumably we spell it with a U, right? I believe we do. Oh, you. But I still say ardor. If I'm if I'm going RP, it's like oh, he had much ardor. Ardor. He's an ardorous man. Much ardor. Anyway, Devil is fine. This is only twenty four minutes long and has nine songs or tracks in it. So do you wanna you wanna go ahead on this one? Right. So I tell you what, this album reminds me of. You got to bear with me here. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever listened to the first Berserker album? I don't know if it's the. F I've listened to Berserker's discography, but I don't. It's been a long time. So they like kind of like if you, the second album onwards, they kind of refined their sounds. I know exactly be... what you mean. The electronic yeah. tracks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like the second album, they've kind of refined it and managed to combine some of the electronic influences with the actual like carcass worship. Or the, mm -hmm. I don't mean that in a bad like way. Because I mean, fucking everybody loves carcass. Fuck yeah. But like the first album, it's literally like. They have like a metaphorical board and all these fucking musical ideas and just throw as much shit at the board as possible and would include it even if it would stick or not. And like, and that is what this album reminds me of because it's so like all over the place and there's so many different elements from so many different genres. I mean, mm -hmm. there's the three tracks, the Sacralism. Yeah, the, 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 the intermediary, intermediary electronic tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and like one of them, I think it's number three, um, really reminds me of this old game I used to play on the Mega Drive called, um, oh, I wrote down because I knew I forget. The track is called Master of Darkness, which was a C Castlevania ripoff. Oh, no. Because ah. they hadn't ported Castlevania to um, Mega Drive yet. That's so they had their own game which was a ripoff. And the first level, you're actually in London by the Thames ah. and you're looking for Jack the Ripper and you've got to kill Jack the Ripper. But like it's kind of, but anyway, that track really it has some really and the interesting thing about those tracks is they're so similar to the Berserker album. Those elements are so jarring and loud in the mix that it's kind of almost disarming in a way. And it's like, but I, I actually really dig it. I think it's super cool. Have you listened to early Igor? Yeah, it's fucking equally as yeah, bizarre. The similar kind of vibe. 
I don't know if you know how Zilin Ardor, like how Manuel Gagno got his thing. Was this the, the, the 4chan? Yeah. yeah. So, I'll let you tell it because you're doing it a better way than me. Well, I, I don't know, but we'll see. So basically, <laughs> the way that Zilin Ardor even formed was that Manuel Gagno would go on 4chan and he'd kind of ask people to give him two genres to like put together and, and like make like a cool thing. It was like a challenge to him to, to create stuff. So he puts up this post on um, 4chan. And some, um, some like dickhead basically said, and I'm quoting, fuse black metal with N-word music. So, you know, Gagno is, is um, non-white. He is like, um, I believe, you know, heritage that relates to the music that he's, he's doing, like with this, the, the kind of, if you haven't listened to it on Ardor, it's a mixture of like slave chanting with like, you can hear the clinking of chains and like he is exploring his concept is, what if slaves, instead of adhering to Christianity, turn to Satanism to get through slavery? And that's kind of the concept of this album and of Much As In An Ardor, which is really fascinating because he's taking the satanic element of black metal and inverting it, so he's inverting the inverted. Yeah. Um, and he's like mixing it, you know, with this, this cool, cool shit. It's like really fucking good. Um, so he, he, he did one song, but then he kept going and that's how Devil Is Fun happened. Yeah, it's um, it's something that I don't think ever really on paper should work, but it, I think it actually does meld pretty so good. fucking well. Like it's, so it's like it's it's really cool as well. I want to talk a little bit about because it's got some elements of Delta blues, which mm. is a, a type of blues that was inspired by like the so I think it was the Mississippi like sort of Delta Bay yeah area, and um, there was a musician called uh, Robert Johnson. You ever heard of Robert Johnson? I don't think I have. So he was like like a super uber skilled like Delta blues musician and guitarist. And when you listen to the old blues stuff, you think like like you think metal metal guitarists are like proficient. You listen to some of the old guitarists that used oh, to do blues, and it's like yeah. it's another level, man. But like people didn't believe that he became so good naturally. Oh, is this the, the devil? Yeah, the crossroads guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah this I is him. This guy, yeah. So, and I thought it was just—it's just so cool that people thought he was so damn good that he thought that he like struck a deal with the devil with like and crafted, and it's just super, super cool. That's amazing. And I think that's what I like about the because it, it's funny because like any every any interview of Manuel, he's almost like kind of downplaying a lot of the serious kind of undertones of the album. Because like you said, it started off as just like this, this concept and this project that's kind of evolved into this fully-fledged thing now. But um, I think what's interesting is um, just, just how well it melts together and just how like kind of sincere it sounds. I think, I think it really works because both those, like that music was born out of resistance and yeah. so was black metal. So like conceptually, they're both really similar. And I think as well, like, I mean, it's just... Honestly, like it's it's one of those things that like we owe a lot of modern music to blues. Yes. We owe so much of modern, like almost all of it. Like all honestly, metal music. All metal, hundred percent, because metal comes from rock. All yeah. Rock, that's what rock came from, and like the first heavy metal songs were super super bluesy. You know, if you listen to that seventies rock shit, if you listen to um, what we're going to be reviewing in the next episode, so Lord Baltimore, that was one of the first instances of references to heavy metal. Yeah, that blew my mind. It's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, all these people who, like, think that they're, like, elitist and Nazi and shit, well, you better stop listening to metal, mate. Yeah. Like, you're not doing a good job, are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's that. 
Um, so it's really interesting conceptually and like musically, it works really fucking well. And Gagno has done his research when it comes to like the Satanism. He's not just doing like bland Satan, yay. He's actually gone and read like occult books, which is ironic because a lot of occultism is super fucking racist. Yeah. Like Alistair Crowley, massive racist, massive anti-Semite. He, he like, his views on women are not great. But there's something so kind of rebellious and respectful the fact that someone takes something that is so, you know, it's almost like reclaiming something and twisting it. He's not even reclaiming it. He's he's kind of well, stealing it. He's like appropriating yeah. it and he's twisting it to in in like a rebellious way that is like what these people wish they could be doing. Yeah. You know, like what some dude in a cloak and like a Baphomet rug yeah. <laughs> in a room surrounded by skulls and candles wish. They could be as dangerous as and like as yeah. as like progressive and you know this 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 music is like really cool and I think I don't know if, if Gagno was necessarily being that political but it's fucking political whether you like it or not this kind of music is because the way that he's taken these things and like in a way highlighted stuff that I've never really properly thought about in terms yeah. of like the dynamics of music and and how how people can can appropriate the occult and use it in like very shitty racist ways. I'm not saying all occult practice is necessarily that. I mean, we use tarot and psych cards on this podcast and we absolutely use it in a non-racist, like non-shitty way, 100%. So I think it's really cool that Gagno is like, you know, quoting the Lesser Book of Solomon and he's, he's taking this shit from Crowley, which I absolutely detest Crowley. You can come fight me about that and we'll have a big long conversation about why Crowley sucks. Um, but yeah, it's it's awesome. Like he's quoting the names of, of these demons from That's in the children's summon track, right? That's, That's it. Cool. That's it, yeah, absolutely. And like, you know let me see, there was there was like a, a way he did it. The first seven demons are the highest ranking demons, skipping over a few dudes. They have awesome names, man. Demons have lovely names. Barbatos, Payman and Buer, he skipped those guys up. Um, the order is unimportant, or going up to the magic number seven and skipping to the next prime number, the title Children's Summon can be connected to summoning of these demons. And the song also ends with, come on down, perhaps an invitation to the demons. So that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. I think that's super cool. There's actually, you mentioned Alistair Crowley, I think there's a vocal sampling from the first um, techno track that's used as the, uh, the main beat of that sort of drum and bass, almost dubstepy sort of track. Which I'm guessing probably isn't yours then. I was quite interested to hear a take on the more electronic aspects of it. I actually the... didn't mind some of it. Oh, that's good. Some of it is, I'm a little bit like, I'm quite fussy when it comes to electronic yeah. music. As you well know, I have an, a real hatred of um, synth, like bad synth, which is most synth. But it's actually really good. I like the, the kind of like riffy repetitiveness of this like minimalist style. Um, that you can find in electronic music, which I don't mind in the, in that context. And I think he, I think it's a really cool juxtaposition between all the songs. It's like you're fast traveling from like one area of a song to the next one, and then you kind of arrive and you're like, oh, what's next? And it's just like it's always surprising, and I really like that. That's really a good thing. Yeah, it's like I think he even said himself that the production was like super super lo-fi. And you can tell it is, like it's got a real raw, like, you know, there's so, so many parts of it are so loud in the mix, but like it works because I think, you know, even the nature of Meldon's two alleged, uh, apparently opposing styles of music mm. and, you know, kind of mashing them together is always going to be something that's abrasive. I don't think it's, it was ever meant to sound like, you know, like a, a, an almost perfect yeah. kind of synchronization. 
But um, and do you know what? Like, just go on to the Satanism thing quickly. I think you know, at the end of the day, he's kind of made it fucking exciting again because I'm fucking bored of Satanism and Melon. Give a fuck. Like you know, yeah. if I was to, if I see a new band and and they're, and they're doing the same old like satanic tropes, and I'm just like, oh. So it just reminds me of like the second wave black metal stuff or just some of the some of the death metal shtick that is just super old now. And I think this is actually making it kind of fresh and exciting again because, you know, like similar artists we've covered here in the past, it's a new perspective and it's fresh. Like, you know, when you combine something, it creates something new. You know what really, for me, is exciting Satanism? Is this little Naz, is that his name? Oh, that dude that done the music little video Naz about a, doing a lap dance on... is you know. amazing. Like... 100% props to that guy for being more satanic and metal than literally any black metal or satanic band I've ever encountered in my life. Like, yeah. that guy nailed it. That is, yeah. like, the most... No pun intended. <laughs> like, it's cool. He learned to fucking pole dance for that video, and he, like, he looks so cool. He looks bomb yeah. and shit. Like, props, just, man. That's could, the metalist thing of the year. I'm just imagining all these, because, like, it's, it's funny, because the whole... I don't know how we're getting onto the mumble rap genre here, but like <laughs> the whole mumble rap genre is um, kind of um, a lot of the artists are taking inspiration from like even like bands like Deicide and stuff. No. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a that. guy called Ghostmane. I think it's Ghostmane. He sounds like a Pokemon. Yeah, he does. He's white. <laughs> if it was your Pokemon, you'd be called Nina. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody who's listening to this will get that reference, but it's fucking funny. I don't know, we've spoken about it a couple of times. Have we? Yeah. Oh, we'll bring it up. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's like got like a real like metal aesthetic and like in the music, it's like post Malone. Post Malone's like mad into like deathcore and shit apparently. He reps some like legit artists. Yeah. He, yeah. he was in a metal band. Was he? Yeah, he was, was he like was a metal guy. He was in a metalcore band before no. he decided. Yeah, like he started doing the post Malone stuff as like just like bedroom stuff yeah. between his bands. I think he was a guitarist, I think. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's cool. And then you realise, oh shit, this stuff is actually what people yeah. want to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like um, uh, Skrillex as well. Skrillex used to be in the metalcore band. No way. Profess yeah. to last, they were sick. Yeah, I was trying to remember Skrillex the name. Skrillex was in that band? Yeah, he was a singer. Shit. Sonny Moore. But the original point slash joke I was building up to was just like, I'm just waiting for one of them to see Glenn Benton with his inverted crucifix and uh, it's like, oh yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, and then all these mumble rappers have um, um, 21 Savage, didn't he have that? Little Uzi Vert, I think, so has, a, a has a diamond in Benton. No, I think 21 Savage literally had an inverted cross tattooed on his forehead. Oh, is it tattooed? Oh, is it? Oh, I think oh so. if it's not in, if it's got No, no, this isn't the diamond guy, this is another guy. The diamond guy was, that's mm. wild. I was looking at that diamond for a long time. As a judo, I was fascinated by how it was like, like set into his head. That's so cool. It's crazy. I love it. But it's gonna fall out. Implants always fall out, don't they? I think he's got like a subdermal implant, and then it like screws on the diamond. Wow. The diamond's removable. It's not. That's mental. So you can you can change depending on your outfit and your mm. mood. I that is so. so cool. I think that's what I read. I would probably get a ruby or an emerald if I was gonna do that. I like corundrums. They're the best. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing, this is going to sound a bit like a diss, but it really isn't intended as this. Like, a lot of the metal components in this album are very simplistic. Mm. And like, but what I think is super cool about the album is the fact, the way you meant, you touched on it a little bit, the way it's juxtaposed is what right. makes it super cool. Like, that's kind of what makes it fresh and exciting. 
and just just the little touches and flourishes like even like the sound of the chains clanking and he uses that in a couple of tracks like devil is fine which is like a monster track like it's that track so is so catchy yeah and it's mad it's got mad views and popularity yeah. the video is really cool as well it's, i love the video it's cool yeah and it's what's just the, you know, what's the video like i haven't seen it it's like a guy in chains and, and there's like i think there's like a font of blood and cool. you can like see stuff in the is yeah. that am i yeah, yeah. I so cool. But the cool thing is that track like doesn't actually have much like metal elements in it. Like, there's, yeah. a, there's like a kind of a, a wishy like post metal like mm. riff going off in the back. It's heavy though. But it's good. It's good. Like it was heavy almost emotionally, and I think yeah. that can sometimes be heavier than you know the Blues old fucking is. blast beats. Blues is heavy as fuck. It's like yeah. the saddest music. It's music about like stuff that metalheads are into, like emotions and and like it's not about like falling in love. It's about like losing your fucking family. I mean, it's about also about falling in love, but it's also about tragedy. Like if you read the lyrics for something like Summertime, it's about like being really poor and like watching a rich family and like you're looking after a child and you're like, your mum is rich. No, your dad is rich and your mum's good looking. Yeah. So don't worry, you're, Some, you're gonna be okay. Yeah. There's no point in crying. Summertime is some bit of like, it's years before it ever happened, yeah. It's one of my favourite <laughs> pieces of music. It's the, one of the first pieces of music I learned to sing. I, I, I listened to the Nina Simone version and she's singing it in a club. And at the end she just starts laughing. She's like, you know, because you talk about the cotton being high in the fields. Mm. Like, that's, like, that's something those people in the club would relate to. Like, working, busting their asses. And, like, in the song she starts, like, ad-libbing and talks about, like, working loads and everyone. You can just kind of feel the vibe and, like, the... It's just really interesting. It's really interesting because you can feel the class divide and the race divide in the music. Even the way it's performed makes a huge difference as well. It's so interesting. Yeah, that kind of like goes into what I've been saying for a while, you know. I think, um, funny enough, I think Ice-T actually put it quite well. Because I think he's been interviewed once about uh, Body Count, who I've still never listened to. My friend Jack's tried to get him to listen to him for a while. Oh, but apparently so they're, they're pretty good. It's so good. Is that the chat shit get shot? Yeah, yeah. Talk shit get shot. That was actually good. Yeah. That was really good. But like he said, like at the end of the day, like you know, you've got bands that sing about like Satanism, Satanism and the devil, and <laughs> <laughs> yes. and um, fucking like, and there's enough bands singing about Vikings and Lord of the Rings shit and you know fantasy elements. Like that's cool to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But he was saying like to him, the real devil is walking down the street and someone pulling a gun out and pointing at his head. Like that is like the devil incarnate on the planet that we live on. And I feel like that that's just such a cool concept because it's like you know. I think that's why people would connect to something, whether it be this or other works that are a bit more introspective and a bit more connected to the real world, because that is the shit that we actually deal with. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, like fucking Sauron, you know, fucking... Sauron's a metaphor for the man. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's that interview in Neurosis and Steve Von Till's talking about how, like, what they make is like, they see it as like soul music. And it's just heavy because of the emotion that goes into it. Yeah. And yeah. that's what they concentrate on. So if they play a big riff, it's because it matches the mood of what they're singing about, which I think feeds really well with what you were saying about Zero Night. Yeah. yeah, it's a similar deal. And I think like it's the same in blues as it is in metal. If it's slower and simpler, it's easier for it to sound heavier. And it's easier to convey something with music that has more space in it because you're able to fill that space with whatever you've got, I feel. Whereas with like faster music, I feel like you've got to rely more on technicality for it to sound impressive. So I think that can be like a real big factor in how heaviness kind of works and why it works so well. Because in a way, black metal, even though you're playing like a fast blast beat, you're actually creating loads of space. When you're doing that too, you're actually like 
you're kind of you're kind of adding yeah. color to the background and then you could you have space to put over the top and that's where the heaviness actually goes in my opinion mm -hmm. i don't know that's really conceptual no that's yeah that's no, that actually makes perfect sense yeah. to me um one cool fact about the album did you look up um who was on the album cover at all or it's a, so it's like an, an infamous uh, gentleman called Robert Smalls, who was a former slave who basically freed himself and seventeen others. He commandeered a ship, travelled to another part. I'm not obviously I'm not was too well placed in the history. Go ahead, yeah. But he so he commandeered a ship, like a naval ship, went to another part. I think he ended up residing in um, the North Carolina, I okay. believe, at the end. But he ended up becoming a successful businessman, a politician, and he actually ran, like, you know, he was actual, like, a, you know, a, a, an elected member. And that's who, like, I think Manuel was saying that, well, when he wanted him on the album cover, because it's almost like the personification of rebellion in that kind of s systemic mm. oppression that was just so rife at that time. That is really cool. And obviously, and then the, it's got, like, the, the sigil of Lucifer is, like, imposed on the front. Yeah. So it's just, just a really cool... Love like, the logo. Yeah. It's really cool. Is this it just is, the Leviathan? It's not the Leviathan cross. It's, like it's slightly the other different. One. It's, it's a, the Lucifer sulfur sigil. The no, that's the Leviathan one. cross. It's like it's a V. It's like the V from mm. it inverted. So that's like the. Is that also a symbol for sulfur? Because the Leviathan it, it cross comes, is the symbol for the sulfur. The Leviathan cross incorporates a symbol for sulfur, I think. Right. Um. So it's for, it's like he's taken the V at the bottom of the Leviathan cross, and then he's put like a Z or so he's put something else over it. Yeah, okay. He's like he's taken it and changed it. He's made his own sigil, which I think is badass. Um I mean what's more satanic than that? But um like we have a quick shout out to my favourite track which I, I think I like Come On Down. I think that's I a really good track. I love Come On Down yeah. as well. Because do you know what it's cool? Because I feel like that's a good uh, amalgamation of all the kind of separate styles on one track. Because mm -hmm. like I feel like some of the other tracks tracks are a bit fragmented and only encompassing certain elements of what he's presenting, whereas this is a good representation of it all. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just super catchy. It's so weird to hear such catchy, and he's got a really soulful voice as well. It's like, it's like really distorted and heavy, but also yeah. emotional and soulful. It's like really rough, but also stunning. It's like such a bluesy voice. It's yeah. great, yeah. And it's just, you know, and it's just, it's just crazy that it took um, a random, um, you know, kind of like ill-advised 410 posts to kind of spur on something that just kind of shows how something so genuine can come from somewhere which was just so kind of innocuous in a way. It feels like an in itself act of resistance, like he trolled the troll and he did real good. Yeah. And like this album is such a good precursor, it's not even an album, it's an EP, it's a good precursor to precursor, <laughs> precursor to Stranger <laughs> Fruit, which is um, like the album that Gagno, um, is it Gagno or Magno? Oh my god. <laughs> You've been saying Gagno, so I hope it's that. It is. Thank goodness. Um, released afterwards i can't remember what year but it's a bloody good album and it's a lot yeah. better this was kind of like the manifesto it was like the embryo of what zealand arda became and they really came into themselves um into the album and there's like some live they are fantastic i hear i really regret that i didn't see them yeah live. i've got a few people who said they're pretty stunning live and it's uh and that's why i was kind of getting out with like the berserker like uh, comparison as well because they kind of had like a really weird first album slash EP, which was just like loads of crazy ideas thrown at the wall, and then with the second album, which what this band did, they managed to like refine the sound. And because yeah. Stranger Fruit is the superior work, but it's I think this is important just because it's kind of like like you said, it's like an embryonic mm. uh, representation of something that that the scene had never heard before. Yeah, 
I mean, I saw them play it live. No, but like, other, I don't know what it was like when you saw it per se, but it's really funny when you see them play it like other times and like the guitar, whoever's playing the guitar is like obviously not like a metal guy and he just doesn't get like the heavy soul of the guitar. It's like... On the record, it's so fucking heavy. But live, there's times like, I watched a video of him playing it like House of Blues and they were just like... So Jazz Coleman like gives me serious Ian McShane vibes. Yeah. The first time I saw Ian McShane, I was like, is that Jazz Coleman? Yeah. Is he also an actor? But no, like I, I swear, I just kind of want them both to like do something together and merge. They've both got eyes. They look like they've seen too much. They, they both look like shamans. Yeah. Like, I would, I would probably Ian join McShane. their cult. Yeah. yeah. Is he, is he the one that's in American Gods? I yeah. love yeah. him in American Gods. And he was in Game of Thrones for an episode or two. He's mm. also in that film with one of those, um, there's some like shit British comedian where he's like a tango instructor. Oh yeah. It's really good. It's like Tango Nights or something. It's actually a really good film. Yeah. And it's got um, Kevon Novak in it, and he's like some awesome gay Iranian guy, and he's like really. Yeah, oh, that's cool. It's so good. Yeah. It's a uh, gun before we move on from killing joke. Do you remember the whole um, uh, rift they had with Nirvana over "Come as You Are"? Mm. I do. So I think they claimed. I can't remember which. It's, it's it a does rift. sound it's exactly the It's a direct like rift. Yeah. 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 Kurt literally was like, "Yeah, no, I stole the rift." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they signed over the, the, the rights to it, though. Oh, did they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you look at it, like, they, yeah. like I think it's just considered to have been written by Killing Joke now, that song. Yeah. Damn right. They signed over the publishing because it's such a direct riff. Yeah. The intro of Futurama reminds me of a Nirvana song. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, shit, sure, I can hear that, yeah. yeah. Never, never caught that before. There you go. Funny, that reminds me, just going quickly back to Zero Nada, there's a song that sounds <laughs> like... Um, <laughs> Low Rider, you know that song by War? Like the bass line at the beginning sounds like the second last track and that Zero Nardo EP. I find when I listen to pop that uh, like so many pop songs have the same bass line as Oh my god, I forgot the song! Awesome. Uh, <laughs> How's it go? Sing it. I can't remember! Yes! This is the worst anecdote! God damn it. Oh, a lot of a lot of pop songs have that similar mm. bass line and there's a few others like I just hear them repeated a lot. But I guess there's only so much you can write on the bass, especially if you're a pop artist. Yeah, because that's even um oh god, what was that song? I remember when I remember when I last night. Oh Miles Barkley. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. the bass and that's like like note for note, it's like kind of similar the way it descends to Seven Nation Army as well. Yeah, it's like re. I hear it so much, like a huge, a much amount. It's like Hans Zimmer recycling his riffs for other artists. And I hate Hans Zimmer, he sucks. Um, well, there you go. Memoriam. <laughs> Memoriam, sorry, I'm really negative today, aren't I? Um, I want to mention something cool about um, Carl Willett's uh, vocal performance on this album because I feel like this is the strongest uh, Memoriam performance. To date, and I think he's actually shown something that's even slightly different from anything he was doing in Boat Thrower as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some, I think it's even in the track, uh, I think it is actually Mass Psychosis where you can actually. His vocals are very jazz common. Yeah. yeah, and I was going to say that it actually does sound one, it sounds a bit like Jazz Coleman, and it's that same thing, you know, where you can actually hear that accents come through as yeah. well. Like, uh, Barney from um, Napalm Death is a bit like that sometimes as well. You can hear his like Brummy accent come through. And uh, it just, it's just a different dynamic, and I thought it was just super cool and just kind of more diverse and just a different flair to the band that I think was maybe not necessarily missing 
before because I feel like Memoriam and all the members involved have earned the rights to um, record whatever music they want because they'll stem from such legendary bands in a, in a great scene. Mm. And that's actually, I think, why the music works. It's almost like the band members are making the music they want to make. They don't have to prove anything. No, yeah. exactly. And like, I agree, that is my favourite Carl Willett's vocal performance because you can really hear his voice. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's just being himself, I feel. I don't know, maybe he's just being Jazz Coleman too, but like, I like, I really like how that sounds, like you can hear his accent and just the way he, he kind of shapes his performance is really cool. And yeah. it's just, it's really nice to hear that. And it's such a varied album. I feel like that's really interesting that they've done that. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know if, if that's um, like how they chose to do it, how it happened naturally. They worked with Russ Russell for this album who's a really bloody lovely guy. I love Russ Russell. He's worked with a lot of legendary bands, At The Gates, Demi Borgir, and a billion million more. Did he do Carcass as well? I think he might well have. The mo I'm assuming the modern Carcass. I think, yeah. yeah. Russ Russell has done a shit ton, hasn't he? We nearly worked with him. Oh, no way. That's yeah, cool. he's... Our schedules didn't work out. Our schedules they? didn't match. He was booked up. Yeah. But he's actually... I've known him, I've, like, not super close, but we bumped into each other a lot when I was younger. He's really nice. He's just so kind, so... Yeah, go work with Russ Russell if you can afford to. Um, yeah, the production is like insane. And I it's think so like, good. the drums sound amazing on this. And there's one track, yes. the title track, to the end. And it's, and can I just say, like, this style of music just goes so hand in hand with like that sort of lyrical, the whole thing about war and the mm. kind of the whole trench warfare thing. And it's like, so many bands do it well, you know, like Hail Bullets, or, you know, it's a yeah. big Dutch thing, like oh, bands like Hail Bullets. Hail Bullets is great. I remember, yeah. like, I was actually reviewing albums properly, and that album came, I'd never listened to them, I was like, this is really good. It was the, like, the Japanese uh, aeroplane. Yeah, I don't know the name of that album. Oh, I, know, I can't remember what it's called. It's a really good album. It was, like, a great way to be introduced to them. They're a great band. They're so good. It's brutal. But that track, to the end, it's just, like, this moments where the drums almost sound like, you know, that, like, it's like a fucking bomb going off. What's, like what's the first song? The first song is the most bolt thrower song. The first song, when or the first song battle. comes on, I'm so pumped, I want to get in a fight. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. So it's, it's like, like, it's like, energy yeah, it's like yeah. ring entrance music. I could go and wrestle to that music. It's like, you get so feel good. Like, if yeah. I was, if I still went out to clubs and drank, I would listen to that while I was getting ready because it's such a feel-good track. I would listen yeah. to Bolt Throw before doing jiu-jitsu really? all the time yeah. and wrestling. It's, it's got that so energy. Well, you know Josh Barnett, like, he, of course, Of course, you, I've told you guys a thousand times that I'm going to tell the internet to you because you guys want to hear me talk. Um, but my, like, the my, my favourite wrestler, Josh Barnett, he, he's called the Warmaster because he always listens to Warmaster and he comes out to Warmaster um, before and during, like, Bye, his Bolt entrance... Throw. But obviously, I'm assuming... Well, not, to, not to everyone listening. Oh, okay. I just... <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was a bit interesting to me. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there is an amazing band called Bolt Thrower. Um, and they do, like, war music, Warhammer music. It's fucking cool. Go listen to them. If you don't know them, you will... They're one of those bands that are, like, seminal bands. They're not quite underground. They're not quite mainstream. They're just fucking legendary and there isn't a single bad album that you can go into with them just go listen to them you will thank me for it if you don't thank me for it let me know why i didn't like it because there's 
We need to look into that. I'd um, say, yeah, sorry. Sorry, surprised. we're all so excited. We all want to talk. Oh, we're just so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, is, is there a better meta? I personally think that, that Carl Willis is the best metal vocalist. He's my favorite. My favorite, Whoa, personally. I think he's my metal? favorite. I don't think you can, of oh, all God. the metal, I don't think you can no, say I think Carl Willis. No, I'll Carl say... Willis. No, not, maybe not technically. Like He's not doing like full sets and stuff, but he's my favorite. His uh, voice works in the yeah. context uh, of the music. It so really fits well. the context yeah. of the, the, the music. It's so characterful. I would, I would divide it between kind of harsh and clean. That's kind of how I do it. Like That's one of my favourite clean, clean vocals is like Michael Kisser. We're talking about Bob Pro and Carl Weathers. What did you say to the singer of the band? He said, I missed it. He said, clean vocals are for whims. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, you will Your be vocals are, this. Your vocals are amazing. <laughs> you have to say that because you just no. said that they, they're <laughs> <laughs> Michael Kiska is the clean vocalist. I was going to say clean. He's... Oh, I don't know. What about Who's Kiska again? Uh, uh, Halloween. Oh, I've never literally ever listened to Kiska's got amazing vocals, but I personally really like. Um... Oh, why am I forgetting everything? I have dementia today. Um... What's the band? Fuck, St. Judas Priest. Rob Halford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously Rob Halford. Rob is amazing. He's one of, I think he's one of the best. Because he, yeah. he does like his screams are just fucking amazing, and his his vocal technique is good. I mean, Rob can have number two, but Carl's still number one for me. So many harsh vocals. We're talking about clean like... versus harsh. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 I um, like harsh. I don't know. I really like. Really, have always had a soft spot for Lord Worm from Cryptopsy because it's the most frenzied vocals I've ever heard. Like technically, they're not proficient. He doesn't enunciate anything. Like, it, the phrasing is shit, but like it just works so well. I don't know, but I think for me, Death and Add More Angry, they have like my favorite. Yeah, Chucks levels. are very good. I, I I just really like how he sounds. I I don't know. There's just something really like good about it. Carl Willis to me, like as there's not very many. I'm I'm a big metal guy and I love metal, right? And I don't no really look up to it. I don't really look up to a lot of metal people. But the fact that Carl Willits is openly like anti-fascist, yeah, and he's openly anti-fascist. He's openly like fuck racist. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's great. He's openly and like the fact that when he sings, he sounds like embodied war metal. Like fucking, he's like some kind of primate ready to tear the arms off something. Like he just really embodies everything that I always thought metal was about when I was growing up. And when I finally got into Bolt for the first time, I was like, this? Why isn't everything like this, you know? He sounds like a general in the midst of battle. And yeah. he's like shouting orders or he's like, he, I feel like he, he sounds like he's on a battlefield. And I think it's really important as well for bands that are playing war metal to be openly, like, to be open about their stance. Because there are a lot of bands that play war metal that are idolizing war and that, mm. are, that are obsessed with some wars that are not so great politically to be obsessed with in ways that are kind of shit um but then there are people like carl willis and there are war bands that are that are doing war in the warhammer way of being like war fucking sucks and it's brutal yeah. and here's why you know and as someone who who like I have family members who have been directly affected by war. I have read accounts of people I know who've been in war who've, who've described accurately what it looks like and what it feels like when your best friend's head is crushed by the tracks of a, of a, a tank. And like, you're a teenager and it's the first time you've seen someone die and it's your best friend and their brains are in front of you. And like, that's something I've grown up with and that's so different for me 
to listen to this kind of music in that context when someone's like, I fucking love war. Oh, mm. Nazis are so cool. They look great. Let's wear right. some uniforms. So to me, if I if I am gonna listen to that music, I have to check. I have to know like what their stance is because I don't want to fucking listen to that kind of shit. Yeah. Both for Fuck those people. Right. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck those people. Go and actually like experience and read and, and understand the trauma and then go and enjoy that like fucking shitty like wanking over some World War Two shit like yeah. in the that way. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? It's it's true. And like even in this album, there's one track called Vacant Stare, and I'm pretty sure it's about PTSD. And like, and that is the real horror of war, really. I mean, how many people are fucked up by it and have never lived? And they, a lot of them end up killing themselves. But there are generations of people who have yeah. experienced, like, like Vietnam. Those oh. people just weren't cared for. I hate the stories of people coming back from like Vietnam and then they wouldn't be able. They go back to their homes and they couldn't sleep in their bed. They had to go and sleep in the garden because they didn't know how to like sleep yeah. in bed anymore. It's an utterly meaningless war. It's so horrible. I mean, pretty much all wars are utterly meaningless and like they don't, they're unnecessary ways of resolving conflicts so they don't actually resolve anything, right? It's just the most fucking stupid human action there is. And then, you know, the, these people who were sent there not knowing, like in World War One and Two, people don't know why they were fighting a war. No. They were just torn apart from their families and they were kids and they were just sent to these trenches and, and battlegrounds and fed drugs that they didn't know what they were doing to their bodies and like existentially that's fucking terrifying and horrible and weird and like there are people now who are making art about it in ways that are really disrespectful in my view to mm. those people like if you truly I'm ranting a lot sorry but if you truly like want to respect your podcast, you should rant if you want to fucking respect <laughs> the heritage of your country fucking do it right yeah you know and I think you've got to recognize the trauma that stems from it and yeah. the fact that you know it's you could glorify it as much as you want but at the end of the day we sent loads of young people to their deaths and yeah. it's like, you know, like my granddad was lucky enough to survive and by his fucking survival was the only reason why I'm here. And he got told, oh, there's a medal that you earned that you need to pick up. And he was like, fuck that. Mm -hmm. I don't want no fucking medal. Yeah. Like, I'm fucked. Like, he was in, like, um, he had oxygen for the rest of his life because he was stuck oh in the water God. for three days. Jesus and it was just, and just, just, you know what I mean? It's just, it's only through his volition and fucking desire to survive that you know that you know it's like the whole butterfly effect in it you know just one thing's different you wouldn't exist but you know but that man's determination to come back home is the only reason why i'm still here and he didn't have a choice so he didn't want to go to war one of my granddads was a bomber he was like an ace bomber in the war and he killed loads of people and Fuck. that was my dad's dad and then my mother's dad was a conscientious objector because he was a preacher he was like a religious man he refused to kill people yeah because it was he went against the teachings of the bible and he went to prison yeah he went to prison and he was, people would spit on him in the street and call him a coward because he didn't go to war. And they were like, you're fuck, you scum. Da, da, da. He got hate mail, all this kind of stuff because he wouldn't go to war because he didn't believe in killing people. People were like brainwashed from an early age to, to like glorify and idolize war. And I remember when I was growing up, there would be like this army thing that they do at my school. The army would come and everyone would have a school trip and do all these cool army things and do an obstacle course. And my mum was like, I was the only person in my year not allowed to go. And everyone thought I was a fucking loser. And that my parents were like freaks because, and they, they literally just called me a freak because I didn't go to this army day. And like, uh, from that day, like a bunch of kids ended up going to the army. Mm. You know, they probably served in Iraq or some shit. I wanted to. Yeah, like, when, when it came to they, my school, it seems like the coolest thing in the world. They're brainwashing kids. They're like, oh, look, it's like an obstacle course, and you'll mm -hmm. get you'll get money, and you'll get insurance. It's going to be great. And like, <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect for anyone who's in the army. I absolutely don't. But I do 
have a problem with the way that war is represented because it's it's not actually the way it's it's just like oh it's like Call of Duty, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's you're just it's gonna go over, you're gonna kill some faceless brown people because it's always brown people, isn't it? And you know it's gonna be fine. You're gonna you're protecting your country. What are you even protecting your country from? Like when you're when you're in Afghanistan, right? No, that's bullshit. I mean, it's like even the whole stupid domino effect thing with the Vietnam War. Like, it was just like, oh, well, let's get them before they become communists, all this bullshit. Yeah. But, like, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. Like, I, like, you know, I've always had sympathy, I would say is the best word to describe it, for the, like, World War One and Two veterans. 100% were forced. Yeah. But, like, you know, when it comes to the new, I don't, I don't have the same level of sympathy or definitely not respect. I don't, because at the end of the day, it's still a choice. I do understand that people who have been kind of, like you said, brainwashed or yeah. indoctrinated from a young exactly, age yeah. believe that it's for a good cause. And, mm. but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my belief is, like, I do not think I could kill another human being unless it was the most dire of circumstances of, like, fight or flight, if I was literally fighting for my life. But, like, you know, so to me, it's such an alien concept to be under any form of mental capacity that I think it's a good idea to go somewhere into right. someone else's country mm. and kill people. It's just... Yeah. But it's... I don't know. It's alien to me. But Have you seen those before and after pictures of men that have gone to war? I bet they just look fucking... They're horrifying. Yeah. Because, like, you just see these, like, happy young men and then they come back and they just look... They look like killers and they look... They look fucked up. Yeah. Like they, they, they don't look okay. Um, and yeah, like it's interesting because I love fantasy. Me and Shem love fantasy and we love Warhammer and we love like battle games and shit. And I love epic descriptions of battle in like Lord of the Rings, but I don't enjoy them in, in, a, in like, I think there's, there's this weird kind of line that's very difficult to describe. Of, of, of like appreciating weaponry and, and like, Machismo. Do you know the difference? Like, what's the difference? If Memoriam had Union Jacks all over their Yes! Shares, if Memoriam were Iron Maiden. Then they would probably suck. Yeah, if Memoriam right, were more like, like That's the difference between that's Memoriam. Because yeah. uh, Carl Willis like... is like, War fucking sucks. Right. I'm obsessed with it because we keep making the same mistake right. as a race. And yeah, I don't fucking understand why we keep doing this. It's the worst thing in exactly. the world. And you know what? I'll go ahead and record it and say it. Like, that's why I fucking Bruce Sabaton. Dickinson will wear a fucking flight hat and the fucking... <laughs> Wembley, and everyone will go, yay! <laughs> <laughs> but, like, oh, fucking Sabaton, right? Like, it's really... <laughs> it's really... <laughs> enough said. No, it's really weird for me... I'm definitely going to talk about recent Sabaton news, but it's really yeah. weird for me how they could create music that sounds so fucking happy... <laughs> Like, it's the happiest sounding, most joyful sounding shit. The descriptions of war. Yeah, and it's like, I don't it, 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 it like, and it's like, I've just Sabaton, and there's some tracks, and okay, this is good power metal for what it is, but like, there's just something that always been a bit insincere about it all. Yeah, yeah. it's like the Corpaclani of war. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Do you know, when you mentioned Hail of Bullets earlier, I only found out about Crystal Knacks because of Hail of Bullets. No. And I didn't get taught about it. I didn't get taught by it in school, and I didn't. I never was that interested in what that I found was out one about of the it. Most yeah, I had no idea about it no, until I did, got. We did World War Two in school every year for history, and all we learned about was rationing and bomb shelters and the Union Jack. That's pretty much all we did. 
We never actually learned about the brutality of the war. My school was like, England ruled. Like, yeah, <laughs> like the Tudors. Oh, Henry VIII. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ball, you know. we, we covered the Battle of the Somme, because that was still... Winning the Somme. Yeah, because that yeah. was still to the day the most casualties in a single sort of battle slash conflict. Well, that's been reported anyway. And right. Like, yeah, no doubt there's... I mean, fucking them. Just look at Armenia, for example. Yeah, but, genocide I mean, doesn't count as war. No, no Because they can't fight back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't know why I laughed, but, um, <laughs> but no, like fucking nah, man. School's fucked, man. It's, the way history's taught. Do you know the way history was taught in my school was? Mm-hmm. You got a better grade in history as long as you practice your source questions. As long right. as you applied your English knowledge of how to write and structure a paragraph, mm-hmm. that was more important than the shit you were writing about. They didn't give a fuck about you, you know, like adding any of your own context to it. As long as you can relate it to different sort of political or sociological perspectives, that was the most important thing. You could regurgitate the textbook and do it in your own words, because plagiarism is really bad as well, apparently. You know, like, you know, you could, you've got to copy it, but copy it in your own words. Right, and that's Which is such a weird message. It's ironic, because that's literally how this whole government and, like, everything works. It's like, because we've been taught to just grift in this shitty way, and apparently that's, like, what gets you the grade. Yeah. We just do, like, the most half-hearted... Like, just look at how business and commerce and, like, capitalism and marketing works. It's the most fucking half-hearted shit. It's just people copying a press release and changing it a little bit, or like you know, going to the boss and just saying what's on the on the job description a little bit differently. And it's like, oh, you're perfect. You're exactly what we need, and you're just fitting yourself in these molds. But the craziest thing in most industries, I won't go too much of a tangent here, but like in most industries, you'll find that people work half as hard as they can do because they know if they work to their full capacity, they're going to be taking the piss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like. So it's created this weird fucking mindset where we kind of like naturally don't do know, all yeah, oh shit, I can't work too hard here because this is going to be expected of me all the time and I'm going right. to be fucking taken advantage of. And we're sold this fake concept of meritocracy, which is the idea that if you work really hard, then you'll get what you deserve, which, which implies that people who don't, who, who are in shitty situations deserve what they've got, yeah. which is why people treat homeless people really badly. We're like, and this is this idea just completely ignores the fact that some people are born rich, some people are born poor, yeah. some people are born in places where the the other people are disgusted because of like some random like attribute that they've yeah. got, like would be it caste or class or it's, skin color. It's the inherent flaw like, of conservatism. Meritocracy is the most stupid fucking blind idea. I'm really politically angry today. That's no, good. We're talking about memoriam. And like, like, I guess there's a, there's a this, is, like, this is right. Yeah. Is there a song on this album called Austerity Kills or is that the one before? Ooh. That's the one before. It's not okay. this album. There is a BLM song on this album, Failure to Comply. Yeah, yeah I got that. that I, about that's the, the first one I know. Well. like a pro-protest song. So I, I, I took some of the lyrics. It's, it says, Re- resist, refuse, protest. When justice is repressed, provoked, enraged, oppressed, The anger. this anger must be heard. Failure to comply, protest, refuse, resist, or prejudice dismissed, we shall not desist to create a better world. That's so wonderful. That song, in the light, I think they released that song and then pretty soon afterwards all that shit about the Conservatives going, oh, if you protest, you're going to go to prison for 10 years. It's the timing, and the fact that this was probably written in the summer during BLM. Yeah. So, like, the timing... It's it's got so much fucking worse. This country, if I could go back home, I fucking would. Yeah, right? People don't fucking get that, I want to do a GoFundMe that targets racists. To like raise as much money as I can so to just emigrate away from here. Yeah, God. My family is like I go mean, back home I'm English and I wanna go anywhere but here. I hate it. Yeah, I've literally looked into into a lot of the legal aspects of immigrating because um like 
Yeah, fuck. Well, they're closing all the venues. You know what I mean? What other reason is there really I'm just not welcome stable? here. Yeah. I'm just not welcome. Like, I walk down any street that's not in London and people are like, what the fuck is that? You know, you can just see it. Like, remember when we, we, me and Sherman went on holiday with my mum and my aunt, and we would walk down the seaside town, and people in the street would, like, stop and fucking stare at us because we weren't the right fucking shade of peach or whatever it is that we're supposed to be. Well, we weren't just all wearing North Face gilets. They <laughs> were wearing gilets and cashmere. Yeah. Yeah. That and the racks are pretty comfortable. <laughs> are they really? I'll yeah, look into I'll that. Do you know, one of, I remember when I first listened to uh, Failure to Comply, and I was like, why does this remind me of Sepultura? It took ages to click, it has the words fucking refuse and resist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, refuse, resist. I was like, obviously, oh, sharp today. Carl Willis, like, I think one of because he seems more like a hardcore singer than a metal singer as well. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. If you look at Carl Willis, like if you go, if you listen to like Carl, uh, like Memoriam, yeah, more Memoriam than Bolfer. If you listen to like Memoriam next to like Harm's Way, yeah, the way like he's really rhythmic with the way he uses his voice. Do you think that's because of punk, voice. or do you think that's because of Harm's Yeah, I was gonna say because he's like kind of punkhead. Because he's like because like, of Benediction, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they're just like, um, what's her name? Joe Bench used to always wear, like, UK subs t-shirts, and they were, like, a big punk band. And, like, he was talking about the, da- the Damned as well. Well, the drummers... Drum- and the drummers the in the Damned as well. Frankie yeah. on bass was in Benediction. Carl Willits did, did some time in Benediction. I had to make it sound like prison, but it's not. <laughs> um, and then the guitarist Scott Fairfax, he was also an anal back charge. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and this is interesting. So, Scott Fairfax and Frank Healy have both played in a band called Struble Fix, but 20 years apart. So, Frank Healy That's played memorable. in them in like the 90s. That's crazy. And then Fairfax in like the late 2000, 2000s, uh, what the fuck you call it? <laughs> Fairfax is still in Massacre, though, isn't he? I think he's still an active member in Massacre. I believe so. He's also in a band called Emotionless Fucking Scab. I don't know if they're still around. Yeah. Interesting name. Yeah. 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 This is interesting, like the band members. I have a funny story about Frank Healy. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell it on the podcast. However, first time I, I ever did journalism press, the first year I managed to somehow get pressed to Bloodstock. Yeah. I was about I think seventeen years old, um, and I interviewed Benediction because they were playing. I think it was just Bloodstock like twenty eleven or some something that like that. When Dave Hunt was in the band as well from Nalmathrak. I, I honestly believe. don't remember. However, I interviewed the whole band Benediction, which first off was like herding cats because every single member was drunk. So like the PR was like kind of grabbing one and bringing them, and then one another one would wander off, and then another one would have to come back, and it, it took like ten minutes to assemble the band. They were all just like, you know, like had beers and places like oh we're just gonna go get another one from the bar and then they'd, they'd go and come out so it took me a long time and you only get a certain amount of time with the band so and i was really excited about uh, interviewing benediction i was i would like had done loads of research and um i was really nervous because i was like some little teenage girl and there were all these like like old punk guys and they all came and i started asking my questions and i i, I guess i was new so i maybe asked some bad questions but i think it was frank <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, so, you know, how come you guys are still going? What, and what like, drives you? And he was just like, oh, I just want the money. And <laughs> all I care about is the money and the beer. And I was like, oh, okay. And <laughs> I just kept trying to ask him questions. And it was giving me, like, they were just kind of, like, wandering off and, like, not answering and talking to each other. And it, it was like, I, he was a little bit rude, I'd say. But I think they were just really drunk. <laughs> and I was to them I was just down. some like tiny little baby human girl. It wasn't like 
Yeah. Things about Bloodstock is like that is the nature of the festival in the sense that most people get fucked up at that festival. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think your band members are definitely bands are definitely not um, fucking exempt. From... I saw some bands do some epic vomiting. <laughs> I would love that. There, there was there was I don't know if I should talk about this on the podcast, but there was this awesome girl. She doesn't do jams anymore, but she would mix these insane cocktails. Like they tasted like colours and they didn't yeah. taste like alcohol but they would get you incredibly fucked and she made like this beer bomb but it wasn't beer it was like a mixture of vodka and loads of spirits and it just it, i can't remember what she called it like love juice i think is what she called it and she got um what they called bonded by blood she got them to yeah. drink from it in the interview and the after the interview the guy walked out this is like 10 minutes after he'd, he'd had this beer bomb thing and he shook the hand of the next interviewer and then just projectile vomited everyone. Oh no. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, he literally like had no. her hand in Bond, his hand. And bonded went, by chance. And he went, hello. <laughs> he was like, hello, my name is... <laughs> it's exactly like that. Oh. It's like his name, he just vomited everyone. <laughs> I love that shit. It was so funny. Oh, and like, and then PR went mental. She was so angry. <laughs> she was like, The one time I drank too much before I played a gig, I played the old 12 bar in the Denmark Street when it was still there. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. when it was still there, there used to be a hole and I drank too many beers and I staggered back too far and I fell down the hole. <laughs> a really good clip of Chris Martin from Coldplay falling on stage and it's fucking hilarious so he's stumbling for like 20 seconds <laughs> they're, they're the best ones when they're so desperately trying to remain standing <laughs> you're that guy that's falling on the ice and he falls oh like... my god that's the best clip ever especially the edit with him with the fucking lightsabers oh, too fucking See, good you never get you never get Carl Willis doing that Man, <laughs> he's a fucking trooper. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that all you've got to say? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I could chat for a while about the album, but just saying just different versions of the same shit I've said already. Uh, one track I also really liked, just very quickly, was um, uh, Each Step, One Closer to the Grave. So it felt almost like, because uh, it was talking about death, of course, and the finality of it, which is a common um, lyrical theme. Mm -hmm. And um, it felt like quite a good, because one thing I found really cool about Memoriam as a band is it was kind of initially meant to be a tribute to the, the late drummer, um, Martin Kitty Kearns, who died. So mm -hmm. I think that was quite a sweet notion. And this track just kind of reminds me, it almost sounds a bit like a tribute to, yeah. you know, maybe like lost friends over the years and stuff. And I think, you know. Kind of like symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I thought that was quite a good track because it has, uh, there's some doomy elements on the album I really liked. It kind of reminds me of early Paradise Lost, who Nina loves. And uh, my time, I'm a big fan. I really hate. Uh, I legit, like, me and Floyd legit. I love Paradise Lost. They're so dope. It just sounds too much like Metallica. I'm sorry. I love them. It's like Crosby, Metallica, and Down, my two least favorite bands apart from Iron Maiden. <laughs> sorry. But yeah, no, I mean, great job. I really like this album. I think they've done a good job. And uh, yeah, and the um, great artwork again by uh, Dan Seagrave, who we've been a long time fan of. OG. Um, and one thing I want to say quickly as well was it's always cool and kind of refreshing to hear, um, I used to term older because it sounds a bit patronising, but seasoned uh, metal musicians still creating music that's relevant yeah. and fresh. Yeah. And, you know, they're it's not also, boomers. 
Yeah, and it's yeah, like, you know, they're not boomers. Yeah. It's like testament by man's like carcass as well. Like no one was expecting oh. surgical steel to be good. Oh know? my god, was it fucking good? Yeah, yeah. And Paradise Lost are still fucking sick, in my opinion. They're I think they're better. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is good. But you know, and then at the gates as well. Like I think they've released a couple of good albums recently, and it's just um, you know, it's it's always refreshing to hear that there's kind of life in the uh, the older bands yeah. and it's uh and it's funny because i feel like that's something you don't get in the thrash scene so i feel mm. like i'll go on the limb here so i feel like the big four are trading on their first couple of albums and, mm. and fucking their kind of their seminal works and they've released nothing but dog shit in like the last i feel like yeah. people buy their stuff because they feel like they're supposed to yeah but they just seem like thrashes out of time whereas like death, death metal and death like magnetic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that is <laughs> yeah I could, yeah. I could just feel yeah. the dad energy that went through <laughs> the album. Such dad energy. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid album where they ripped off the Crowbar album cover with the stupid oh, faces. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's hardwired so, to some Oh man, yeah. like, I love Metallica so much growing up, but now I'm just like, guys, please, guys. I'm guys, so glad I missed that shit. Guys, please. So like, but they have enough money. They could just pay someone to do good art. I don't get it. They like, probably just have fun doing it. I don't blame them. If I was Metallica, I'd still do Metallica. Yeah, that energy is very apt, I think. Yeah. Fair enough, but I reckon that wraps it up for me anyway. That covers everything. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Feel free to like and subscribe. If you're a musician or a music person and you want to be on the podcast, let us know. We are interested in hearing from you. And um, yeah, thank you for watching and listening. I'm out. Until next time. Which